I've been a, a high school basketball coach and athletic director for 47 years. And I don't know if you've ever been to a basketball game, but you see the team leave about, uh, about you know, maybe a halftime of the game before and they go back in the locker room. And you ever want to know what's going on in the locker room? If you ever played athletics or basketball, you may know. That's where the coach comes in and he's trying to make one more, one more appeal to get us unified with one heart and one mind and to believe that we can go out and slay this giant out there. And a lot of times the opponent's better than us. We're in a real small school and we play much bigger schools and we have, we have, to, we have to convince our kids we can t- tonight, maybe not tomorrow night, maybe not nine nights out of ten, but tonight is our night. And we try to come together and say we believe we can go conquer that giant out there. And it's really something to get a group that's believing and puts their heart into it. And I'm telling you today, I would like to do that in this service. I would love to rally all of us to believe God's word and to act upon it. But I can't. It's beyond human efforts. The enemy's too great. The enemy's too great. We think we can wing it on our own. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to walk before us and to walk in us. So this is just the the locker room readiness right here. This is not the message. But I'm telling you, we need the Holy Spirit. We probably walk down here, we're coming to church, but are we ready to have our heart cut and to act upon what the Holy Spirit puts in us. In Acts, God told his followers to go and gather and wait for the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? Remember that? And in Acts 2, after they had gathered and the Holy Spirit had come upon them, Peter begins to preach, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And verse 36, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all that are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it, we're... That's the first thing. Before we go out today, may the Holy Spirit fill this room and fill all of us so we can hear his word. I've asked Kirk, one of our elders, to come and pray that prayer for us. Kirk, if you would. Let's pray. Father, I'm just amazed at how the Oklahoma weather really represents life. I mean, there are stormy days, there are rainy days, and then occasionally there are perfect days. 
like today. And we just thank you. Thank you for all that. You tell us to be thankful in all circumstances. We thank you for the storms of life. We thank you for the dreary, rainy days, but we need them. And Father, we thank you for the perfect days. And, and Father, we just, we gather today rejoicing. We, we're rejoicing about Cole and Laura's baby, Davy. We thank you for that blessing on, on this family and on our church. We thank you. Uh, Jesus, I read in the, in the Gospels how you healed all their diseases and you cast out demons. And, and uh, boy, we have among our, among our group here today, or in our church fellowship, some miracles, some walking miracles. We thank you for the walking miracle of David Kimmel, that you healed him. And we just pray that you'd bring it to completion, that, that he would be able to rejoin us in full health and breathing on his own. And Kerwin's a walking miracle. God, uh, you know that it took a miracle for him to be with us today. So we thank you, Jesus, that just like you healed people's diseases 2,000 years ago, you're still doing it today, and we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for the beauty of creation. And Jesus, we thank you that when you left, you gave us your spirit to be with us, to guide us and to empower us. And, and so we just ask for your spirit to... We just welcome your spirit to this service today and ask you to take it over. We ask you to speak through Kerwin and to uh, make your, live, your word alive to us and that when we leave here today, we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you love the word of God? Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? What a question. Do you believe? Throughout my life, I've been asked a lot of questions from friends and all, all kinds of circumstances. Have you ever been asked questions that just thought, wow, that, that hit me? Maybe a friend or a relative or a stranger. But he just said, a question that right now, if I said, can you think of a question that to this day, you think that changed my life or my thinking? Now, I'm not talking about a question like, Nancy, will you marry me? Now, that, that, changed, our, <laughs> that changed our direction. Okay, or will you take this job? That's going to change our direction. I'm talking about where there's a, it's, it's of a depth that spiritually it pierces your heart. I, uh, I, I tried to think of a couple that, that have just lingered with me. Uh, one of my very best friends, mentors, and confidants. My pastor for 12 years, served on an elder board with him for 12 years. Just loved the man, prayed for me so many years. And he passed away of COVID in March. And I was just going back to visit his family and that church we love so much. It was so good to me and cancer. And cancer walked my late wife. I remember... And I heard these questions come up that he asked in our elder meetings. And he asked of those he was shepherding. And he asked of his family. And it just 
came up again and again in conversations. And he would say, simple thing, have you prayed about it? All the time we'd bring something into something personal or something to the church into an elder meeting. He said, have you prayed about that? Now that may not be piercing to you because a lot of times I hadn't though. I tried to wing it my own logic and intellect and figuring it out. But he said, have you prayed about it? And he, was just, he just loved the word so much. He said, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Do not be anxious in Philippians. Do not be anxious but any, for anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And yet I don't do that. But he would center me back with that question and others. And I love that. I thought of what question since I've been at Carlton Landing has pierced me and stayed with me. What's your purpose? Kirk asked me, what's your purpose? He's asked that in Bible study. Any men in here ever heard that? In a Bible study with Kirk, what's your purpose? And I tell you, that centers me when I think about what, what we're to do next. What is our purpose in this season right now for us? That grabbed me. Maybe in an interview where people are trying to probe you and find out more about you. You've been kind of challenged to think, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Really, what do I think and believe and who am I? Uh, so often, somebody will say something to us in a question, and we think, man, they're looking right into me. One time, it was a stranger for me. Nancy and I had been uh, had a sweet time to go to Europe, and uh, we, we, uh, uh, we just had a, an unbelievable uh, about 10 days in Europe, and we we. Nancy hates to drive, and I promised we wouldn't drive much, and I think we drove 2,000 miles to, you know, all those places. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> she drives a lot in her work. But we were getting ready to fly out of uh, Munich, Germany, and there was a, a, a little gal there helping us check in, get our luggage, and get our uh, boarding passes and all that. And, she's, and she was, uh, I think, of Asian, maybe Asian uh, background, and a little petite gal, and she had broken, broken English. In broken English, she says, uh, what you do in Germany? And I said, well, we just, we just had a great time. We, we, our purpose to come over here was to visit some missionaries that we support. And then we also had a, a destination wedding of one of Nancy's dearest friends that invited us to be at that wedding, and that was just crazy sweet. And then we drove around a little bit, Nancy. You know. <laughs> so we drove around a little bit, and now we're, we're heading back home. And she says, oh, you Christian? I said, yes. And she said, what kind? <laughs> what kind? And I thought of all the cities we had traveled through, little towns, and at the center of almost every little town was a Catholic church. And I thought of the things we had seen and read and heard about the Reformation in Germany. And I quickly processed all of that. What kind? And I said, Protestant. She nodded. I said, are you Christian? And she said, yes. I said, what kind? <laughs> and she says, born again. Amen. <laughs> that little conversation has pierced me ever since.
I was not ready to give an answer. I gave a foolish answer. I don't think Jesus is going to care when we get to heaven about the answer I gave. What do you think? Man. Man, oh man, oh man. First Peter says, but in your hearts revere Christ Jesus. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Jesus last and the Lord asked many questions in scriptures. Many, many questions. I read where Jesus asked 309 questions in the gospel. I, I didn't read them all. But that's a lot of questions, isn't it? I read 135 of them. And I prayed over, Lord, what questions would you have before our church today that the Holy Spirit is going to pierce our heart and say, what do I do with that? And the Lord put on my heart four of those 307 questions. And we'll see if the Holy Spirit works. The first one actually is one by the first question in the Bible by the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. The very first question asked in the Bible by the Lord. Adam had sinned. He was only told one thing I can't do. One thing you can't do. And Adam did it. And he sinned. And he knew he'd sinned. And for the first time he knew what sin was. And he went and hid from the Lord. And he realized he was naked. And God, the Lord God Almighty comes to him. And he says in Genesis 3.8, When a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you today? Where am I today? The Lord, you know, I was, we've all heard this, and attorneys, I guess, have been trained not to ask a question they don't know the answer to in court. Well, God knows the answer to everything he asks. Every question he asks, he knows. He already knows. He's all present. He's all knowing. He reads, he sees our heart. He knows our motives. He knows what we're going to do, what we have done. He knows everything about us. And yet we think we can hide something. And when he asks a question, he asks with the purpose to, to speak truth, to show truth, to pull us back toward him, to pull us from sin, to reconcile himself to us. Unlike Satan, Satan actually asks the first question in the Bible, the very first question. A few verses earlier, Satan said, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Satan, when he asks a question, it's to, you should have. Why didn't you? It's to shame. It's to destroy. It's to tear down. It's to kill. The Lord asks questions to get our mind and heart in a direction toward him. My good friend that passed away, his second question, he asked us all the time in an elder meeting, where's your heart? Where are you spiritually? 
Where are you spiritually? I heard his children get up and speak at his funeral and recall he would ask them, where are you spiritually? Where are you? Where am I this week spiritually? Are we with Jesus? Are we walking toward him or away from him? Are we lukewarm? Are we trying to hide from him? Our children at the school I work at, Regent Prep, and four four and five-year-olds memorize Psalms 139 each year. 24 verses. And they, they recite it together in unison on Grandparents' Day. Think about that scripture where they are, that scripture it says God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows our heart. He knows what we're doing. He knows where we're going. He knows us from the womb. Think of this baby right here. He knows every day what's with this baby right here and with us. And at the end of that, end of that chapter, it said, hopefully, when it says, where are we? We would be doing this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Second question the Lord put on my heart says, who do people say I am? You know, the, the Pharisees hated for who God said he was and who, and who he was. When he says I am, and they knew God had said to Moses, tell Pharaoh I am, that was highly offensive. That he put himself on a level with God as God's son. We live in a culture that wants to eliminate the name of Jesus that wants to diminish the name of Jesus, that wants to curse the name of Jesus. At the best, we might say, I will tell you, when I interview, I'm going to interrupt myself here, and when I interview people for positions in two Christian schools, I've interviewed people to work, one here and one in Kentucky. And at one, at one time, I interviewed a man who was a wonderful, wonderful candidate and very skilled for all I knew great character. But I ask one question of each person I interview. I ask a couple of questions. I want to I I I probe their spiritual life and condition. And I said, who is Jesus to you? And he said, history said he was a good man. And I believe it. He was a good man. Anything else? My grandfather was a preacher. Jesus wasn't to him what he was to me. It went beyond history saying he was a good man. Jesus defined, well, let me see this. When Jesus in Matthew 16, 13, when he came from the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. The world doesn't have that view of Jesus. The world has a different view of Jesus than we do right now. Jesus defined who he was. In Scripture, in John, he defined who he was. He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus alone can sustain us. I am the light of the world. I can't see Jesus. I'm spiritually blind without him. I am the gate of the sheepfold. 
Only Jesus is the door to salvation. I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows and cares for his own. I am the resurrection and the life. We cannot escape spiritual death without Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are lost and dead without Jesus. I am the true vine. Jesus is the true source of eternal life. And that today, as it was then, is totally offensive to this world. That there's one way to Jesus. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to to a loving God. And that's through Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. That is offensive to the world. Today as it was then. The second, the third question Jesus asked in that same passage, he gets real personal. He says, what does the world, who does the world say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? In verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Another interview I did with a a candidate in another school I was working at at the time, had just graduated from a Christian school. And I said, who is Jesus to you? I wrote this quote because I'll never forget it. I'm really not a full-blooded Christian kind of guy. And I said, I appreciate your honesty. Nancy one time was teaching a Bible study and she was um, she was actually getting her nails done and she was reading her Bible and the, um, her little gal helping her said are you a Bible teacher and Nancy said only in my own mind yeah. and uh, she said uh, what are you doing so well, I am preparing uh, for, a, for a, a lesson I've got with some, some ladies I'm teaching and she said oh you, you do teach some ladies yes and and uh, Nancy says, I teach a Bible study for half-hearted Christians. And that intrigued the gal. She said, oh, what is, a, what is a half-hearted Christian? And Nancy said, well, let me tell you what I think a full-hearted Christian is. And that gal came to her Bible study. And through the scripture, people moved closer to Christ. And, uh, uh, and grew in the Lord. I always loved that. Truth of it is, we're going to. Uh, truth is, there's days I'm half-hearted. That's why we say, uh, you know, where are you? Where are you? That's why Jesus asked us, "Who do you say that Jesus is?" I've interviewed some some people, and they had a quick answer. In their heart, you could just tell it was on fire for the Lord. I mean, with great enthusiasm. He's my Savior. He forgave my sins. He died on the cross for me. He's my Redeemer. Let me tell you how He healed me. Let me tell you how He reconciled me with my family. I'm telling you, they get so excited, you just think, I'd like to know that Jesus. I... um, have a song from the 80s that Lance, uh, Nancy and I listened to that I just love. It's one of those old praise songs. It's not too jazzed up and fancy. Um, it doesn't say the word I in it very much. So many of our songs say, I've done this, and I've followed this, and I've accomplished this with Christ. 
But it's just, uh, it's just a praise song. It's called Adoration. And the lyrics by Mike Atkins. And it says, and I thought, wow, if I was a wholehearted Christian, would I have this kind of praise more often in my life? Praise, we praise. Praise, praise. Praise to the one who sent us his son. In one accord, we praise you, O Lord. There is no other name above you. Blessed be your name, God of Jacob, shepherd of Israel, holy unto your name, holy unto your name. Glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, God of Abraham, faithful and true. Holy, holy are you. Son of righteousness, the lamb that was slain, you're the lily of the valley. You're my bright and morning star. You're the beginning and the end. You're the everlasting Father. Mercy. You're the God, the God of all glory. You're the healer and the King of kings. You're my deliverer and my friend. You're the sweet rose of Sharon. You're all love, but you're all power. You're merciful and you're mighty. You're the redeemer of all mankind. You're the lion, the lion of Judah. Mercy. You are the ruler of this whole universe. <laughs> Isn't he? You're the ruler of this whole universe. You're the most high, the most high Messiah. And you're the soon coming king. Holy, holy are you. You know, I don't think I get up and say many things like that to Jesus very often. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? And yet my friend, my pastor friend passed away. He said it all the time. He said, Kerwin, we're all going to stumble. We're all going to miss days. We shouldn't. It's just a fact we're sinners and we have to continually go back and confess our sin Draw a line in the sand. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it this week. I was not loving towards you. I was not attentive towards you. I was not honoring to you. Lord, I'm drawing a line in the sand. With your help, I want to start again with you. And we do. Do you ever do that? Over and over and over. And the final question. Nancy read this. Normally we start with the scripture and go right to it, Pastor. I've probably blown all the models. All right, the final scripture, uh, final question. Do you believe, do you believe all, as Kirk, as Kirk says, in the rainy days and the beautiful days? Do you believe Lazarus, they were, Jesus was told Lazarus, his friend, was dying. And when Jesus got there, he had already been dead four days. And Jesus already told his disciples, Watch, watch what's going to happen. There'll be something great happen. And he gets there, and Martha comes running to him in verse 21 of chapter 11. If you had been here, my brother would have not died, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother has risen again. We'll rise again. We'll rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. As Nancy read, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
do you believe this? I was actually reading this on Easter Sunday in my home, and I was reading about a little later when Jesus comes back later after he raises Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus goes and comes back to their home again, and Lazarus is there. I think he really understood what was going on with Jesus, don't you? I believe he had a keen insight about this resurrection thing. He's not quoted at all in that scripture, but I always think, wow, he knew, he knew it. Well, Jesus is the Messiah. He paid the cost of sin for those that believe that he died for our sins and he is resurrected again and lives today. I love this, I love this, this final story of Jesus when this great religious preacher and leader comes to him. He can't figure out Jesus. Jesus is hated, but he wants to know more about Jesus. He's intrigued, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John, in John 3, and Jesus answers him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You shall not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus said. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you, do you not understand these things? Verily, truly, I ask you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept my testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one ever, no one has ever gone to heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Back to my little gal in Germany. Are you Christian? What kind? Jesus doesn't care about a lot of other pedigree things that we think is important in the, in the religious world that Nicodemus was bringing in to him, with him today, and some of us bring with us sometimes. Our own efforts, our own works, our own push to do something good certainly could be in obedience after we're believers. But what Jesus, are we born again? Do we lift up Christ and say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, paid the price for my sins, and was resurrected and lives today. I've prayed the Holy Spirit cold this week, says Kerwin, without knowing what I was speaking about. Sends a message to Nancy. She gives to me cold. Says, I'm praying that the Lord touch your own heart first before you speak a word to others. And so I had to ask myself, where are you spiritually, Kerwin? 
Who is Jesus to me? And do I believe him in every circumstance? I'm asking you, has the Lord touched your heart and brought your mind to anything today? Whether it be where you are, where God wants you to be, how you view God, and how we put, we, we put God on a high plane. You know, we won't, I've heard it said, if there were a convention of gods, there would only be one show up. There's only one almighty God. And only one Jesus Christ for salvation. Most important question probably asked in my life, and I love the one Kirk asked him, which made me think. But as a youth, an aunt and uncle picked me up and took me to church. And I went because my mom didn't let me get out much. <laughs> it was someplace to go. And my cousin was going, and he was near my, my age, a couple of years younger, and we had fun together, and I'll go. And I never dreamed that the Holy Spirit that night would convict my heart that I needed a Savior, that I needed to know salvation. And my aunt turned to me and said, would you like to have forgiveness of sin and eternal life and be a child of the King of Kings? Now, the thought that I didn't have a dad and I was told he was a believer, the thought that I could go to heaven and see him, the thought that I could have a heavenly father right here on this earth. And I said, yeah. She said, let me lead you in a prayer. And if you believe this, you can know eternal life and you can have a heavenly father. And she led me in a prayer that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me. And I know that you died on the cross. I believe you died on the cross and that you're resurrected and I can have eternal life because of you. And I did that. And I've never thought the same since. I haven't. And then she said, one more question. She said, will you follow Jesus in baptism? She said, Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, identify with Jesus and are baptized. The apostles, they preached Christ. They preached Christ. They were faithful to the commission to share the good news. But they also said, it's obedience to follow the Lord in baptism. Believers were baptized. This church, this church during COVID, we had a, we had a, I have a, I have a great, great friend. Who co I coached with him nine years. And his, the Lord led him and his family, four children, to go to one of the poorest nations in the world in Africa and one of the most dangerous nations in the world in Africa. Almost entirely Muslim. Just a fraction of the people would not be. And this church, he came and spoke down there, in the, down there in the pavilion. And this church, the elders, we felt led 
to give them enough money to get back to Africa. He went there as a basketball coach because the Lord put those people on his, on his wife's heart to share the gospel with in a dangerous, incredibly poor country where the gospel is not received. And through loving their neighbors, feeding their neighbors, feeding the poor, he was so good at basketball, he, the, the, the government protected him. They wanted him there. He's placed college players in colleges across America. Some of them played in the NCAA tournament this year out of the program he works with. He does that to share the gospel. And I'm saying all this because we sent him back, and one of the things they added besides his wife going to visit the poorest of the poor in this world, people living in makeshift shacks and tents on the, at the dump of the city they're in, taking them food, taking them clothing, holding their babies, loving on them. My coach friend went to, the, went to the, the state prison once a week to take food and necessities and to hear their stories and eventually share the Word of God with them and just start teaching them about the Word of God. And in this last year, four of those prisoners become followers of Christ Four of them. And those four shared the scriptures with others and 35 others came to know Christ from those four. 39 prisoners came to know Christ. And they asked the warden if they could be baptized. And he said no. And a Muslim all Muslim country. They've identified with Christ in a place where their family will now reject them, when their life may now be threatened for following Christ. And they're saying, the scripture says we should now be baptized. And they asked the warden again, and he relented. He said, I will give you one day of the year for someone to be baptized. One day. It was Easter Sunday two weeks ago. 39 baptized. 39. We have baptized believers at this church in this lake. We have baptized believers in this swimming pool up here. And I'm telling you, if God has called you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, the next step for you, regardless of your age, is to follow Jesus in baptism if you've not done that. And I'm asking you today, if any of these questions have pricked your heart, where are you? Who does, who does Jesus say you are? I am. Do we believe? If the Lord is putting it on your heart to follow Jesus today, I know there are many people in here that would love to tell you about Jesus. It's a simple gospel message, but it does require believing. Our pastor would love to visit with you. I would, Kirk, and many others right here. Where are you, Sean? Come up here. And pastor, I'll let you close this out right there. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you put on my heart. I had to think this through, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for those who have given questions to me that have said, where are you spiritually? And guide me in a direction towards you. 
Lord, I pray that you will cut our hearts today for what you have for each of us from your word today. These things we ask in thy name. Amen.